everyone has an idea of who Jesus is, but we want to help you know what the collection of scripture reveals about him. Right now, we are going through the Gospel of John and taking a look at what we can learn together. Join us at the metaphorical table as we get to know Jesus through the Bible. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us here at the Jesus Table Podcast. My name is Elliot Reyna, here with Dr. Nick Venditti, as we try to get to know Jesus better through the Bible. And we're looking at John specifically right now. We've been seeing how John is divided into different sevens, seven signs, seven um, titles of Jesus in the first chapter. And right now we're looking at seven discourses laid out in John. And we're on number five. The first one was the new birth. Then we looked at the discourse of the water of life, the discourse of the divine son. Uh, last episode, we looked at the discourse of the bread of life. Um, and today we're going to look at one that I was not really familiar with as much as the other ones, to be honest. Um, and reading it, I realized how much is in this chapter. <laughs> in John chapter 7, the spirit who gives life. So... Um, it is the whole chapter, basically chapter seven. Some of it is sort of the background to the discourse and then what Jesus really gets into here. So, um, Doc, I don't know if, let's take some time, I guess, to first see where we're at, Yeah. where, where who Jesus is talking to, what kind of the background is that John lays out, and then we'll, we'll get into the meat, so to speak, of what Jesus is getting at in the passage, but... Um, here it's a certain feast, right? The Feast of Tabernacles and, um, right. Jesus is talking about going, um, what's going on here? Well, what's happened, the Feast of Tabernacles has to do with the Exodus and we don't want to get, it's, we can do a whole series on just that, but we're not going to do it today. <laughs> but just to let, let some of our listeners know, it was one of the three major feasts that all uh, Jewish men, believers, Israelites, uh, were to attend Jerusalem. So it, it's a feast that really goes back to the Exodus. We know that the Exodus is uh, Israel's greatest event as far as relationship with Yahweh and uh, how God uh, miraculously took them out of Egypt. And uh, of course, we know that they were they spent 40 years in the desert and how God provided. And the tabernacles, uh, some call it the the uh, Feast of Boots, or also of Sukkot, which which literally means it's sort of like a little tent, a little uh, little booth, uh, reminding the people, you know, how God provided and how they didn't have their own land for 40 years, you know. So it's a fascinating feast, and it also shows God's provision and how God provided also the water in the desert, you know, when Moses hit the rock, etc., so it's a going back to a remembering of what God did in the Exodus. And, and it's also a fulfillment of promises, for example. And we'll get to that later when Jesus uh, says, um, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So, uh, but this is all a, pre, uh, a preamble to a certain way of what, Jesus really shocked the socks out of the religious establishment by doing this. And, and it's interesting to see how John 
you know, just starting off the chapter, and it is a, lo a pretty long chapter, but, uh, you know, we'll go through that very briefly, how he starts the chapter and where Jesus' brothers who didn't believe, and uh, they didn't believe uh, who Jesus was, and they encouraged Jesus to go down to, uh, I mean, go up to, excuse me, because Jerusalem, in, in the Bible, it's always going up to Jerusalem, going up to Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like, uh, hey, Jesus, you want everybody to know this, so go. And you see the value system of Jesus here, too, you know? Like, he didn't want to be famous. He wasn't looking, you know, uh, it, it's like, you know, let's say you're a rock star or whatever you are, whatever profession you're in, you know, and you've got a hot moment and you're popular. And, uh, you know, they say, hey, if you go to such and such a place, uh, you'll become more famous. You know, that's sort of the whole thing about his brothers. And uh, we see how, first of all, Jesus didn't care about that. And second of all, he said it wasn't his time, you know. And John uses that brilliantly, uh, as we were discussing before, Elliot, you know. Uh, why don't you share a little about that, too, about the time, you know, that it wasn't his time and what we were discussing before. Yeah, I, I just, it seemed so interesting to me that, like you said, the, the brothers, they're kind of giving them a strategy, right? Like a marketing strategy, like, hey, right. Jesus, if you go here, like you said, this will work really good for your public image. A lot of people are there. Um, right. <laughs> uh, I just feel like so many people in our world today are just kind of consumed with that. Like, how do we reach more people, more audience, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says it wasn't his time yet. And then later on, um, when he's talking to the, well, when the Pharisees are there, they want to arrest him. But again, it says, but they couldn't because it wasn't Jesus' time. And just this correlation between God's sovereign plan in his life, his submission to exactly. God's plan and God's timing and that this wasn't just some accident that there was a purpose for every little thing that he did and for his ultimate mission on the cross and i just thought that was amazing but but you're right the brothers it's weird to me that they they it says in the passage when yeah. the chapter starts that they didn't believe in him and yet they're encouraging him to be right. famous so it just feels kind of yeah. like a contradiction yeah. but um anyway well, jesus ends up going later <laughs> they had a marketing yeah. strategy for Jesus. I mean, that's basically what it is. Using, you know, language yeah. for them today. Hey, you you know, this is the time you can be famous. You know, people will come to you. We can make all sorts of t-shirts. You know, we can make Jesus mugs, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I say it kiddingly, but to a certain degree, there's a truth behind that, you know, because the brothers wanted yeah. him, even though they didn't believe in him, they, they, they sort of I, I would imagine they figured in their minds, just like even some of the disciples, you know, uh, they wanted to be at Jesus's right hand and left hand. And, you know, when you come to your kingdom, remember me, et cetera, et cetera, you know, like, Jesus, you're really, mm -hmm. you're going to be a big rock star here, you know, but don't forget I'm with you, you know, yeah. and the brothers are, sort of have that same spirit. And Jesus says, no, no, it wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. And I thought that yeah. was very insightful. And it's not the only time this happens. That. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yep. there's another time where they want to force him to be king. Right. And it wasn't his right. time. And there's they're either trying to kill him and or, or arrest him, or they're trying to push him into something that's not because they misunderstand yeah. his mission as the Messiah. They think it's more political. So um, Jesus obviously always stays firm with 
uh, God's plan. And uh, it's so, so exactly. interesting to see how he gets tugged both ways. Um, but he does show up at the Feast of Tabernacles late and then he shares. Mm-hmm. He reads and he shares publicly. And then comes the people and the Pharisees and they have different reactions to him. And then uh, right. they keep reading. It kind of goes into what they say about him. He's good. No, he's evil. He's a prophet. No, he's the <laughs> Messiah. He can't be because of this. He can't be because of that. And uh, and to see the, the sort of division between what the people are saying and what the Pharisees um, want to do, which is arrest him. And they send guards to exactly. to, to, to arrest him. Um, is there anything you want to say about that segment before we get to Jesus' response? Well, you know, the thing about it's it's curious because even some of the crowd, some people in the crowd said, hey, I thought they wanted to arrest them. You know, it, it sort of sets up the the stage, you know, for Jesus being arrested and yet he's teaching publicly. You know, some of the people uh, realized what was going on and they're sort of questioning, how can this be? You know, they're going to arrest Jesus, but he's teaching here publicly. You know, it's sort of, uh, and I think that's a very brilliant way that John just builds the suspense. I mean, that this is from a writer's perspective. You know, I think he builds the suspense because we always get that feeling, you know, it talks about here the crowd, and part of the crowd believed, but part of the crowd did not. And then it talks about the religious leaders, how they were coming down, you know, uh, on Jesus and how they wanted to arrest them, but they weren't able to. So it's just a fascinating way that also, I think, John builds up that whole suspense. Uh, you know, if this was the first time we've read uh, the Gospel of John, you know, he it, he just does, a to me, a brilliant job in building that suspense. You know, it's like when you watch a, either a suspense thriller or something like that, is it, are they going to get him? Are they not going to get him? When are they going to do it? You know, that kind of thing. And uh, I think John does a very good job in doing all of that. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah. And then one last thing I wanted to mention before we get into Jesus' actual teaching here is it seems so interesting to me that there's a lot of different things that they kind of throw at him of why he isn't or is, is the Messiah. And one of them is that they accuse him that the Messiah, they wouldn't know where he came from. And they know very well that he came where he came from right um and they, yeah. they throw that around like they say well, we know exactly where he came from and the, the prophecy of the messiah says that we wouldn't know where he came from but then in studying um in john 9 it says the opposite in john 9 29 it says um they, they later says the, the opposite it says we know that god has spoken to moses but as of this man we don't know where he uh, where he is from so it just seems so curious to me, like in this chapter, they're accusing him that he can't be the Messiah because they do know where he's from. And two chapters later, they right. say, no, he can't be the Messiah because we don't know where he's from. And like, it just shows, uh, I think, the contradiction between the the accusations from the Pharisees. Yeah. Another thing they throw at him is how dare he uh, heal on the Sabbath. And um, he's, there's, he's supposed to be from Bethlehem, but he's from um, Galilee, because right. they don't know that right. he was actually born in Bethlehem, and a bunch of different things exactly. of um, why he is or isn't, and and all of them being wrong. And ultimately, if you if you read the whole story, you see how Jesus actually perfectly exactly. um, fulfills the prophecies. And then Jesus comes and lays out a teaching that um, I don't know if you wanted to read it. It's uh, verses sure. 30, 37. 37 through thirty nine. Yeah. I'll read it, yeah. 
Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he said in reference to the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I mean, just in these verses, we can do a whole podcast or two. Um, as always, we always feel that there's so much here and there's so much depth. But we don't want to get lost in just looking at all the little details. I think just a good overview will help us uh, understand this. But on the last day of the Great Feast, of course, we already discussed that it was the Feast of Tabernacle. And I really like the way John lays this out. If, uh, when Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Again, here's one of the moments that... Uh, we're, we're talking about uh, the Israelites, the Jews, uh, the feast. Uh, people knew why they were there. Uh, they knew the Exodus, the Feast of Tabernacle. They knew when Moses hit the rock, you know, and uh, and water came out the two times. So they were extremely, extremely familiar with that. They would know that. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus and just uh, tells them, hey, if you're thirsty... Come to me. And I'm sure I would say, you know, 90% of the people were thinking of Isaiah. You know, when uh, the, the word teaches in Isaiah, if you're thirsty, come to God. It's Jehovah. It's it's the Lord back there. And that's why you have all this controversy. And I think that's part of the way uh, John builds up all the suspense because, you know, all of a sudden Jesus is saying, hey, and Jesus is the one that's inviting here, not Yahweh in like in Isaiah. He's the one that's inviting here. So that's why you have this whole conflict. And of course, the religious leaders understood very clearly what Jesus was saying, you know, because that's one of the reasons why they wanted to kill him. And they finally were able to kill him because of blasphemy, supposed blasphemy. You know, that was the charge yeah. uh, that they brought up against Jesus. So I just uh, think it's, it's really worthwhile to see how Jesus points to himself here. But he points to himself not to brag, you know, but he points to himself in verse 38. The one who believes in me, again, believing in him. And uh, this is part of the theme of John, as we've mentioned, that that's part of the purpose why John wrote this gospel, so that everyone that believed in him, in meaning Jesus, uh, would have eternal life. As the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living waters, you know. And uh, when you see that, it, it brings to mind a couple of things. It brings John 4, for example, to mind when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. And she says, hey, give me some of that water. I want some of that water. Yeah. But I think it's, it's also very important that we realize how Jesus always refers to scripture. And here you have the PhDs, you have all these very learned, learned people, and he's sort of saying here, hey guys, uh, do you know what scripture really teaches, you know, and I would imagine many of them were very angry also because of that, because 
even in this chapter, it, it says that, you know, Jesus wasn't a learned man, you know. Uh, uh -huh. He didn't come from Yale. He didn't come from Harvard or Oxford or Cambridge or any of the great schools, you know. But then his, his, he says very clearly that his source is the Father, you know, again, that direct relationship with God. And um, John helps us understand in verse 39, but this he said in reference to the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because John was not yet, I mean, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here, uh, John is laying out sort of a chronological order of all of these things being fulfilled. First thing is Jesus' death, resurrection, right? Because he was not glorified, the glorification of Jesus or the honoring of Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Spirit was not yet given. We see how uh, the Gospels emphasize the fact that um, the disciples, you know, Jesus tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So John sort of does a great theological uh, had, has a great theological observation for us, walking us through all of this, as the Jews would see it, but also telling them, you know, what Jesus is talking to us is about, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even though it doesn't say this here specifically in those words, mm -hmm. but that's the whole concept behind it. And again, rivers of living water, you know, uh, I would imagine some of the Jews present we're thinking of uh, maybe you know since Jesus was from Galilee and the Jordan River goes into Galilee and from Galilee you know the the water came living water is uh, water that moves you know and I would think mm -hmm. some of them uh, probably looked at the contrast of the Dead Sea where everything is dead there's no living water there and just by Jesus saying that he will give living water Again, uh, I would say more than one was just marvel, and more than one was, what's this guy talking about? <laughs> yeah, and the the verse thirty nine that says that he said this, he spoke of the spirit, right? So he's referring water in terms of this is the spirit that was gonna be received by those who believe. But wasn't said right. yet because he was not yet glorified. So this is referring to Pentecost. Am I correct in assuming that when the I would say so? Given uh, yeah, believers? yeah, because its spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Of course, the glorification of Jesus happened uh, after his mm -hmm. death and resurrection. You know, the honoring. Yeah, of, uh, and, and sitting and at Jesus the right says, hand. It's better of the that I leave because I will send. That's right. Yeah. Later on, that's correct. So, yep. Yeah, so that's so so interesting that this is laid out, and then the correlation between water is also in the Old Testament that there's rivers that come from the temple. That's a prophetic image in Ezekiel, that's right. and that itself mm -hmm. is an image of Eden, right? right? In the beginning, there was the four rivers that came from um, from the Garden of Eden, representing life and representing God's presence flourishing with humanity and him dwelling right. among us and jesus is here restoring that this is why oh scripture is just so amazing how it just ties everything <laughs> together this isn't just some separate yeah. thing 
Jesus is coming as a fulfillment yeah. of the promise of God to restore us to Eden, to restore right. us to that place where there was that living exactly. water, there was that yeah. flourishing of humanity with God and us. Yep. And before sin had ruined everything, Jesus is here restoring all of that as the promised King Messiah. So um, that is that is and the I point. It will come again, from within you. Yeah. Right. Uh, it, it's important to underline, uh, and I know we keep on saying this, but it's very important that we realize that uh, all those scriptures, the Jews of that day listening, especially here at the temple, and listening uh, to all of this, knew all those scriptures. You know, and here you have Jesus in the mm. midst of all of that referring to himself, you know. Uh, right. that's, that's the shocker. That's the, really the shocker where he gets people's attention, you know, whether they believe or did not believe. So, again, we have a reference to the person and work of Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, the, I think this is why they knew it was blasphemy. There's a, they say there's a phrase here, and I forget where it is. Um, they say, they tell the the guard, something like, the one who leads astray. They refer to Jesus that way, right? The one who leads astray. Right. And that was a serious charge of apostasy, of idolatry. Oh, yeah. They're not just saying, oh, he's kind of, you know, confused. He doesn't know everything. They're saying he's leading you astray from Yahweh, from God. And this exactly. is a serious charge that they understood from, you know, knowing the Old Testament, all the times that Israel kind of turned to, towards idolatry. They see Jesus as doing that in a sense, you know, as as yep. pointing people to himself. Because every prophet that's shown up on the scene has been pointing to God. He says, go and re repent towards God, turn to God, turn to him. But here Jesus is pointing to himself, which, you know, to them is is blasphemy how dare you point to yourself instead of to god and not understanding that they are one and that he is um god who's come to dwell among us in the flesh so um i think we miss that and people then start assuming well jesus wasn't god he was a prophet they they just don't understand what jesus was clearly saying here and anyone living at that time exactly would have understood this yeah, yeah. either positively or negatively they would have understood it yep and, you know, it's curious because John also right. has Nicodemus here, you know, uh, at, towards the end of the chapter in, mm -hmm. in verse, let me find it, verse 50. Nic Nicodemus, the one who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, verse 51, Our Lord does not judge the person unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? And this is the what the leaders respond in verse 52. They all answered and said to him, you are not from Galilee as well, are you? Examine the scriptures and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. You know? And of course, the leaders there weren't aware, or some of them were not aware that he was born in Bethlehem. So it's like, and it's that bias, because there was a bias between yeah. the Jerusalem school and also the Galilean school, you know, of rabbis. Yeah. And uh, you have here, that competition you know and uh it's like no 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 this guy's you know he hasn't gone to the right schools he's not one of us and nicodemus you know bless his heart here says you know how can we accuse him of something 
you know, uh, when we haven't even really given them a chance. So, uh, yeah. well, in verse 47, the and Pharisees are replied to them, yeah. you have not been led astray too, have you? So if you didn't agree with the Pharisees, they believed that not only Jesus, but the people that believed, and even Nicodemus here, being part of their group, you know, uh, they're mm -hmm. saying, no, 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 Nicodemus, you, you got it wrong. You got it wrong, you know. But uh, it's just fascinating to see yeah, and, uh, and how Jesus... Because... Yeah. Yeah, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, and they're wrong because the, Jonah was from Galilee, and he was a prophet. He was from mm -hmm. uh, Gath, Heifer, I don't know how you pronounce that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just making sure I looked right. it up. And so they're saying no prophet comes from Galilee, but Jonah came from Galilee. So there's just a lot of bias, but, like you said, yeah. here. And, no, no, no. There, yeah. was, there was obviously a very big bias there. You know, Galilee of the nations, it was sort of look, looked apart. First of all, uh, many of the religious leaders looked at Galilee since it was, and it used to be called Galilee of the nations. Uh, you know, it was like the, mm. the ends of the earth as far as Israel. It's the closest thing to the nation. So they weren't even pure Jews, that kind of mentality, you know. But uh, again, uh, they couldn't respond to Jesus. They really could not have responded. And supposedly they're the, they're the lawyers, they're the experts in the law in all of this. So uh, it's just a fascinating way, to, again, that uh, I, I personally see how John is just building the suspense now. You know, you have, and of course, chapter yeah. 9 uh, with the blind man again, you know. Uh, to me, one of the funniest lines in the whole Bible, especially uh, in the New Testament, is when the blind man asks him, oh, you guys want to be his disciple? All I know <laughs> is that before I was blind, but now I see, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so it. you have that tension that John is building up, of course, until uh, the end, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. And then seeing how... Even the guards, the the officers that they sent to arrest him, right. they couldn't. And the Pharisees are like, "Why couldn't you bring him in?" And the officers say, "Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks." They're in awe. Nicodemus is defending him. The people, most a lot of them are believing, like just with the words that just that that Jesus exactly. is saying, because he is speaking the truth. For he is the truth, the way and, yeah. and the life. And, um, and the life. Another passage that greatly shows us that. Yeah. Yep. Well, well, I think we've done justice for, yeah. I think we've done justice to the passage. And just like Jesus invites the Pharisees, uh, I know we say this a number of times, but we also want to invite our hearers to uh, look into the scripture, to search. Um, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity we have to be able to share from our hearts what we've learned and what we still need to learn regarding scripture but we also want people to uh search themselves because jesus invites not only his disciples but he also invites quote his enemies you know to also search the scriptures because they speak of him so uh, yeah this this is good yeah. thank you elliot again for your insights too and the dialogue that we have um thank you no i always learn a lot more and leave even more encouraged and wanting to to read the Bible as well. And I hope all of you listening uh, feel the same way. We'll see you in our next episode. We'll look at the sixth discourse in John chapter eight. Thank you so much, Doc. God bless y'all. Okay, God bless.
Thank you for listening to the Jesus Table podcast. We pray that these conversations are a blessing for anyone seeking to know who Jesus is and for those seeking to know him even more.